Good morning, church. Well, Wes and Holly are getting to take a little uh, time off this weekend, so it's very much my privilege, and I'm thankful to have an opportunity to share a simple message from the life of Jesus with you today. You know, it's not uncommon when I ask friends how they are doing that they reply with, I'm blessed. And oftentimes when people ask me, I reply with the same. In that response, would you say that I'm I'm saying that I feel like I'm content or I have good relationships? And Tim, if you want to go ahead and flip through. Do I mean that I've got good health or I'm grateful for maybe a, a material possession? Do I mean that I'm thankful for my family? You know, it could be a lot of things, right? Most often... It seems that when people express this this way, that they're trying to give glory to God and give thanks for the things that God bestows on us. And I think it's a good thing to say. It's an expression that we also hear very often, don't we, in society? I mean, if you were to look at Instagram in the month of March up and query the, 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 the expression hashtag blessed, you would get no fewer than 142 million responses. Now, does that mean we've got 142 million different ways to say we're blessed? Well, I don't think so. But I do think if you talk with different people, they would have a very different perspective on what it means to be blessed. Now, the word blessed has two major definitions. The first one is to be holy consecrated or set apart for a special or a specific purpose. And the second is to be endowed with divine favor and protection. So synonyms would be things like favored, fortunate, privileged, enviable, and sometimes happy. Based on those def- that definition, I want to be blessed, don't you? I want to enjoy God's favor and protection. I want to live a blessed life, and I know each one of you want to be living a blessed life as well. Now, when you think about your life and what it means to be blessed, we have to keep in mind that our culture's definition of blessed and Jesus' definition of blessed are related, but they're different too, aren't they? So this morning, I want us to take a little closer look at what Jesus said about what it means to be blessed, not only on this earth, but eternally as well. But before we jump into the text, where do we hear the word blessed used most in the New Testament? It's in Matthew 5, isn't it, right? Sermon on the Mount. Jesus makes nine different blessed are statements. Of course, if you grew up in the King James, it was blessed, right? And don't worry, both, both pronunciations based on online Webster's are correct. Blessed or blessed. I'm going to stay with blessed today. Jesus makes these nine statements that talk about being holy and consecrated and having God's favor and protection. So at the beginning of his ministry, when he makes this sermon, he says, be this way, and you'll be favored, fortunate, spiritually protected, and maybe even happy. But this morning, we're going to look at the close of his ministry. 
and the close of his time on earth where he wants to help the disciples understand this concept even more fully. And so he gives them an object lesson around the whole notion of being blessed. In Matthew, he teaches with a sermon. In John, he teaches with, an, with his example. So let's read John 13, 1 through 11. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own and who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already betrayed Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am now doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. <laughs> then Lord, Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he said, for, for he knew he was going to who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not every one of you is clean. This is a familiar text for many, if not all of us. In first century Judea, a sandal, a leather was, was essentially a piece of leather with a leather strap around it. And those were the shoes of the day. So your feet needed to be cleaned when you came into someone's home, especially if you're going to share a meal. It was customary and even expected that a host would provide a servant who would wash the guest's feet as they entered home. And since they ate largely in a lounging position, you want everybody's feet to be clean. And for whatever reason, like I said, there's no servant there to help. So Jesus surveys the room, and he sees a need. Throughout his life, in his ministry, when he saw a need, he didn't just put it in his head and, 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 and not do anything. He responded. And Jesus also saw every situation and every person with love. The Simon, excuse me, the, the Samaritan woman, Nicodemus the Pharisee, the Roman centurion, Mary of Magdala, the Galilean fishermen, tax collectors, the sisters Mary and Martha, and even Judas Iscariot. He looked at all of them with love. And thanks be to God, he looks at all of us with that same love today. So here at the end of his ministry, Jesus sees a teaching moment. One that will illustrate how to love others by serving. In this moment, he's teaching the disciples. He's not above doing the servant's job. 
And as the text tells us, he knows he will soon return to the Father. He understands he's God. But he wants to illustrate what it means to be blessed, not just for the benefit of those who are being served, but also for the spiritual growth of those serving. Ralph Waldo Emerson, over 130 years ago, is credited with coining the term, what you do speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. I'll say it again. What you do speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. And I think that's the situation here, right? So rather than talk through this with the disciples with a lesson or a parable, Jesus is going to demonstrate what it means to love everyone. He rises up during the meal, takes on the servant's role, and washes everyone's feet, even taking off his outer garment like a servant would do. At one point, Peter says, you won't wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, then you have no part of me. Peter relents and wants an entire bath. And again, Jesus has to explain that later you'll understand. Let's pick up the text in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what are these things? Well, before I can answer that question, we kind of need to look at and understand the situation Jesus is speaking to. Or if you're a Bible geek like me, you'd say you need to look at the text in context, right? In the first century, we understand that people needed to have their feet washed, but we also understand that status and class was a big part of every aspect of life. Let's talk about the Romans. The Romans were there as an occupying force in Judea. And they had an entire military system that included rank, administration, different positions. They also handled civilian government, had a variety of different uh, people who were very much involved in the Jewish people's life, just like Pilate. They also, it's estimated, had about 5 to 10 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And among slaves, there were a variety of different classes of slaves. That's the Romans. Now, for the Jews, we know that the very respected teachers, Pharisees, Sanhedrin, priests, were all part of a, a kind of an elite class. And then you had the Levites who took care of the temple. And then there were different jobs that most Jews did, and by different jobs, there, there, was, there was social class. And then finally, remember, every Jew looked at a, a Gentile as being an unclean person. 
Social rank dominated the thoughts of all the people of the first century, and it governed how people interacted with one another. And it was a practice that Jesus hated. He hated it. Unfortunately, even those closest to Jesus were not immune from any of this, were they? The mother of James, is John, James and John is so concerned about rank in the new kingdom that she asked that her sons be on his right and his left in the new kingdom. And as a result of the mother's request and then the disciples' reaction to that request and their frustration, Jesus sees an opportunity to show contrast in how the world looks at status, how he wants his people to live. And look at those things. So let's look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for many. <clears throat> so to fill out our context, essentially it's that after three years of the disciples watching Jesus love Samaritans, Romans, tax collectors, prostitutes, let's just say everybody, right? And in that time, loving those people, he never you know, uh, treated anyone with distinction in a greater or lesser way. Even after three years of this, the disciples still need an object lesson on serving one another and who should serve. So Jesus, who's God in the flesh, seizes the opportunity and takes on the role of a servant. So there's our context. So what are these things? Thing number one, no servant is greater than his master. I can't, no matter who you are in God's kingdom, we all submit to Christ's authority. And like our master, we are to serve others. I, I've got to tell you about Cindy's uncle, Jim Parnell. Jim worked as a youth minister and then became a licensed professional counselor and worked at the same congregation for 41 years. In 2005, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So what do all people with pancreatic cancer do? Well, if you're Jim Parnell, two years later you volunteered to be a chaplain at Summit Hospital in Nashville. Seven years later, that hospital gave Jim a humanitarian award because he loved, encouraged, and served people. So in February of 2014, during this award ceremony, these are some of the comments that people made. I felt they, like they gave tremendous insight into Jim's heart for people and serving people. Here's some of, the th some of the things they said. He has dedicated his time to serving our employees, the patients, and their families through his kind words and loving prayers. Summit Hospital is his mission field. He always puts others before himself. And finally, one person said, I can only hope one day I will be as kind and caring as Jim. 
Those around him often forgot how sick he truly was because he always showed concern for them and asked questions like, how are you doing? What can I do for you? Jim let his actions speak so loudly that when he said, it's my honor to serve and I'm blessed, we heard him and were encouraged by his example. And he was blessed because he had God's favor and protection and he is eternally blessed. The disease took his earthly body three months after that award ceremony. But he knew that no servant was greater than his master and that his master suffered all these things and yet lovingly served others. So Jim gladly did too. I encourage you to find a place where you can serve. Not all of us are going to be hospital chaplains. But find a place where you can serve like that. Because like Jesus, we need to take an attitude that says, I will serve. This is my purpose. I will help people and think about them first. That's thing number one. Know that no servant is greater than his master. Thing number two, humble yourself and serve everyone. Don't place conditions around those on whom you will serve. Serve everybody. Jesus makes this exceptionally clear with his life. He served everyone from the highly esteemed Jewish teacher Nicodemus to the Samaritan woman at the well to the ten lepers that no one would come close to. Even at the Last Supper, he washes the feet of the man he knows who will betray him. Don't let circumstances keep you from serving. All too often, we rationalize our actions and our decisions to exclude someone from our failure. I ask you to stop and think. If Jesus didn't show favoritism, why should we? I heard this expression from John MacArthur, uh, and it seems right. Selfless humility is the soul of love. I'll say it again. Selfless humility is the soul of love. Only humble people love, and your capacity to love is directly related to your capacity to humble yourself. The more humble you are, the greater capacity you have to invest yourself in someone else. And they're related proportionally. The lower you go in in self-concern, the higher you go in concern for others, right? True biblical love is full devotion of the one who loves to the needs and well-being and blessing and joy of the one who is loved. Why do we call this biblical love? Well, quite frankly, it's easy for all of us to love people we like, people that are special to us, people in our family. You fill in the blank. But Christians are called to love everyone this way. And that's the example that Jesus gives us. Quite simply, biblical love, the love of our Savior, is completely unbiased and unselfish. But I guarantee you this. It isn't easy, is it? Most often we are called to lovingly serve someone who may not be able to serve in return. It might be a boss, co-worker, or friend. It might even be a parent, a sibling, a child, or a spouse. In all these situations, Satan will tempt you 
into trying to take things into your own hand and encourage you to give up on loving that person and maybe even give up on the relationship. God sees all of this and understands your heartache even when it seems like nobody else will. God also sees your perseverance in the relationship and is thankful you don't quit. God desires people who will unselfishly love others. When someone says something, think about your reactions. You know, James tells us that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let's be the people who bring the volume down by listening to our neighbors and loving our neighbors as ourselves. The happiest people I know bring peace to situations like this and love like Jesus. So, how do we get better at serving others? Well, i got to tell you, it needs to start at home, doesn't it? All too often, it's easy for us to take those closest to us for granted. So I encourage you to take a hard look at yourself. This lesson has caused me to do that this week. And if you can't take a hard look at yourself, ask your spouse. They'll help you. (laughs) But they shouldn't have to. Take a hard look in the mirror, look at yourself, and see where... Or am I always looking to be a blessing to the person I love? And am I doing things to serve them? And then I heard this from Charles Stanley many years ago. HALT! The great acronym. Don't get too hungry. Don't get too angry. Don't get too lonely. and Don't get too tired. And while this is another lesson for another day, It's just very, very important that we need to be disciplined to take care of our physical and emotional selves so that we can have the spiritual energy to love others. So rest. Take care of yourself. Why? Not for rest's sake, so you can be a blessing to someone else. Think of others first. Offer your time, money, and talent without expecting Anything in return. Serve everyone, especially those you feel like who don't deserve it. That's right. If, you've got, if you're starting to feel that, that, that bit of uh, feeling that this person doesn't deserve it, an alarm clock ought to go on and says, oops, I need to love like Jesus. Get your antenna up and proactively look to serve. And finally, know your master loves and serves everyone. Don't exist on the earth here to be served, but to serve. Okay? Serve others. Now that you know that no servant is greater than his master, and that we need to humble ourselves and love everyone, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them if we can love or serve you in any way, please come forward as we stand and sing.